Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So I heard a story about a, a man who, well, a, a, a kind of rich young adult who liked to sleep late. He liked to sleep into the afternoon and then wake up and uh, maybe eat something and then go back to bed. Uh, and this particular young man uh, had a parrot named Polly. And Polly watched this young man sleep into the afternoon, get up and eat lunch, and then decide that he was going to lay back down and go to bed. And Polly asked her master, her, her owner one day, why is it that you sleep into the afternoon, wake up and eat lunch, and then finally decide to go back to bed? What, what's the deal with that? He said, well, here's what happens. When I wake up, I have these two friends, one on each side of my ear, telling me something. One friend is called hard work. Another friend is called laziness. Hard work tells me that I need to get out of bed. There's things to be done, and it's time for me to wake up and get going. Laziness says, ah, now, now hold on a second. You can just lay down in bed and stay in bed a little longer. All of those things that need to be done, they'll get done some other time. And he said, what I do is I keep listening to that ongoing conversation between hard work and laziness, and I just stay in bed. I don't get up and go anywhere and do anything. So here's the truth. Just talking does not help. I think every one of us knows somebody or knows somebody who that used to be like, right? They own laziness. They're good at doing absolutely nothing. In the South, we use the word piddling. Piddling is a little bit sometimes like laziness. It's just doing something that's not a whole lot worth it. By the way, that's not a new concept. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23, Solomon wrote this, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. In fact, the book of Proverbs over and over again addresses the sluggard, the lazy person, the lazy bones in some translations, the person who is more content to just laze around and not really do anything than he is to get up or she is to get up and go about a day's worth of work or their business. We're going to read in just a moment from Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, Solomon actually draws our attention to the smallest of creatures, an ant, to get our attention on this concept of laziness. Laziness is that thing that it, all of us have a tendency to sometimes be a little bit lazy. I don't think that's really what Solomon has in mind when he's critiquing the sluggard. He's not critiquing the person who every once in a while sleeps in to 8 o'clock. I think he's talking about the person who their consistent pattern of behavior is procrastination, delay, not doing a hard day's labor. Maybe he's talking about that 28-year-old son still living at home with a part-time job. Mom and dad do the laundry, pay the bills so he can play video games. Something like that in our concept. Maybe that's who Solomon has in mind. Certainly not 3,000 years ago. That same concept. Read with me, if you will, what Solomon says in chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Solomon writes, Go to the ant, 
old sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, old sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you're taking notes, there are a few other places in the book of Proverbs that deal with the sluggard or the lazy bones. Chapter 12, verse 24 says the slothful will be put to forced labor. Chapter 12, verse 11 says that the worthless person lacks sense. Chapter 19, verse 24 says the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. So lazy they won't even eat. Here's my favorite, though, in terms of the book of Proverbs on the lazy person. It's repeated in two different places, but chapter 22, 13, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets, so I'm just going to stay inside. The idea is that the lazy person has always an excuse for not doing what he or she should be doing. There, there's, a, there's a message in there, I think, for all of us. There are some enemies of hard work. And really what we're looking at is the contrast in the book of Proverbs between working hard and being lazy. We've entitled this message, Walk Wisely in Our Work. And don't mistake work for merely your vocational employment. In the Old Testament, people didn't go off to a job very often. There were some merchants, but most people had a variety of duties. Either they were gardeners, or they had a field, or they kept sheep, or they sold their sheep. In other words, their responsibility it was at home, was in the place of business, and was overlapped with all sort of other things that they did. And so if we only think that when Solomon says to us we're to work hard, we're thinking about it in a vocational sense, where we draw a paycheck from, then we've missed the point. Walking wisely in our work means that we're to walk wisely in every area of duty and responsibility that God has given to us, whether that's in a vocational setting or whether that's at home or whether that's when we have to mow our grass or take care of aging parents or care for young children. Whatever it looks like, we have obligations and responsibilities. And Solomon spends some time contrasting the lazy person with the person who works hard and works faithfully. Now, there are some several enemies of hard work. The classic one is obviously what we've already talked about, laziness. The person who's just too lazy to get up and do much. They're, they're kind of good for nothing. And I've been around some folks like that. Maybe at times, probably at times in my own life, I've been some folks like that. You know the person who just can't get up and do anything. Who's not very productive, not intentional. That's one enemy of hard work or enemy of productivity. There's another enemy of productivity, though. Um, how about this one? The busy person? Say, so how can you be busy and not be a hard worker? Ah, come on now, y'all. I, I remember I, a lot of times people ask me, how you doing this week? And I'll say, man, I'm busy. How many of times have you said that? Man, I'm busy. But, but when you really think about what busy looks like, sometimes busy isn't very productive, 
It's just active, right? We're doing a lot of things that sometimes may not really get us any further down the road in terms of profitable work or profitable activity. It's just stuff. Now, I'm not talking about folding laundry. I mean, folding laundry is something everybody's got to do that's got to happen in the house. I don't mean busy work in that sense. I mean just kind of flitting from one activity to another. And man, a lot's happened and I've not stopped all day. But then you turn around and think about it. What's really happened? So busyness can sometimes be an enemy of God-given productivity for living out the glory of God in our lives. Here's another enemy of productivity. How about this one? Distractedness. I think that's a huge one in contemporary culture. In Solomon's day, they didn't have smartphones and TV screens. They didn't have all of the things that drew their attention away from the task at hand. And yet today, we can constantly be engaged in something or doing something. And yet, we're really distracted from the most important things. The reason all this is important Tim Challey put put it this way in a productivity book he wrote called Do More Better. He said, the simple fact is you are not the point of your life. You are not the star of your show. If you live for yourself, your own comfort, your own glory, your own fame, you will miss out on your very purpose. God created us to bring glory to himself. And laziness or sometimes busyness or distractedness, they're all enemies of us living out every activity that we have for the glory of God. In many ways, they can all extinguish the the reality of what God wants to do in and through us in every single area of our lives. And what Solomon does in chapter 6 is he tells us, directs our attention to the smallest of creatures, or one of the smallest creatures, the ant. And he says we can learn some things from the ant that will help us not be distracted, not be overly busy, not be lazy in order for every part of our lives to function as as an opportunity to bring glory to God. See, some of us in our work, we work for ourselves. Just be honest with you. Some of you work for yourselves. You work for your own self-interest and pride. And I don't mean that that's a terrible thing. We have this thing in the United States, or at least we used to call it the Protestant work ethic. This idea that I could go about a day's work and I'm really happy with how I did things. That's not necessarily or inherently wrong. It's not bad when you paint a wall and you can look back and think, man, that, 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 that wall looks pretty good from being painted. But if that is the extent of what we're doing things for, working for ourselves may not be enough. It's certainly not enough eternally. Some of us work for ourselves. Some of us work for our future, meaning retirement. I meaning you're counting down the days to the moment you can turn in your resignation from your place of vocational employment because your numbers have matched up to the extent that you want your numbers to match up, you know how long you're going to be able to draw that particular amount of retirement income to live as long as you expect to live. You have all of those things down to a T. And some of us are working for retirement. We're working for the future. Uh, Some of us are working because we want to avoid the stresses and frustrations that happen outside our place of employment. I mean, I I know this for a fact. 
sometimes it's easier for me to go to work than it is for me to deal with something else that's going on in my life. Some of us find an inordinate amount of self-congratulation in our employment, our vocation, and we find our self-identity in our vocation. And so really what we're doing is we're working to, to not have to deal with that stress at home or that stress in that relational situation. We're going to work so that we can kind of uh, figure out who we are and what's important. And here's the challenge with that. The trouble with that biblically is this. There's going to come a day when you're no longer drawing that paycheck from that vocational arena. And who are you when you're no longer drawing a paycheck from that vocational job? You are somebody. And the point is this. Solomon is drawing our attention back to a lesson or a series of lessons that will help us remember that the goal of what we're supposed to do is to bring glory to God. Tim Challies again put it this way. He said, productivity is effectively stewarding our gifts, talents, time, energy, and enthusiasm for the good of others and ultimately the glory of God. So let me, let me put it on, on this level for all of us, okay? Most of you in this room are not classically lazy. You're not the person who can't wake up in the morning and get going about your day. But a lot of us tend to be the kind of people who might be working for something besides the glory of God in our lives. And by extension, really what we are is we're more sluggardly in the way that we engage our behaviors on a regular basis. And we need some attention drawn back to the details of how we go about our work, go about our home, go about our relationships and our interactions with others. And the ants... The ants, some of the smallest creatures in all of God's creation, have something to teach us about who we are and how we work hard. So let's look at three specific lessons from this little animal, the ant. Notice what Solomon says. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Here's lesson number one. Go and take initiative. Go and take initiative. Did you catch that? Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider ways. Be wise. Watch the ant. Look at the ant. Pay attention to the ant. Any of you got ants at your house? Of course you do. I got ants in my house. And I have a spray bottle for the ants that live around my house. You get what I'm talking about. I mean, ants can be a nuisance. I remember as a child, never forget this, kind of one of these ongoing nightmares in my life. I was about two years old. We were living at a house in Covington, Kentucky, and for some reason, we got an ant infestation in one of our closets, and, and they were all over the place. I mean, it was like, you, you've looked at a wall, you see a white wall, well, it was like a white wall that was moving black. I mean, there were that many ants, at least that's my two-year-old memory. I mean, they were everywhere, and I remember mom and dad trying to fix the ant problem, trying to kill the ants. I remember getting a battery, I think it was like a C or D battery, and I was just doing my job to help deal with the ants, and I was mashing ants and mashing ants and mashing ants. And we think about ants in that sense, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of a nuisance. But you know what ants do really well? They work. Have you ever seen an ant that's still? Well, a dead ant. Otherwise, they are always going somewhere doing something. And Solomon, he wants us to get our attention on 
some part of creation that's active. And so what the ant teaches us is to go and take initiative. In other words, sometimes some of us, we have what we call paralysis by analysis. It's like the, the guy's problem in the, in the story at the first of the sermon. You know, the re, what really kept him in bed was that he kept listening to hard work and laziness back and forth. Well, what should I do? And he just was paralyzed because he couldn't do anything. Some of us spiritually are that way. Some of us, we know there's something else to be done or something we need to engage in as a follower of Jesus. You know what? We don't know how. We don't want to know where to go. So we just kind of pause. And I don't mean pause in a good way. I mean pause in a bad way. We just stop. And, okay. Well, and we find ourselves the next week in the very same situation. Uh, let, me, let me put it in a very real category for us spiritually. Let's say this. If you're not spending time in God's Word regularly... If you're not reading scripture, if you're not having a quiet time, here's what the ant teaches us. Go and take initiative. It's time for you today, before this day is over, for you to stop everything else that's going on in your life, open up God's word and read scripture and spend time in prayer. Go and take initiative for your spiritual life. How about this one? You have told yourself for years and years, you know, I've got to give money to the church. I've got to tithe. I've got to be faithful. I know that God wants me to do that, but I can't ever remember to bring my checkbook to church. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Well, here's what I'm telling you. Go home and go on our website and pull out your credit card and tithe to the church through the internet or bring a check whatever you prefer. My point is this. If that's something that's stopping you spiritually, stop waiting next week to fix that. Fix that today. Go and take initiative. Or how about this one? Some of you are like, man, how do I grow in my spiritual life? How do I grow? Because we've been in, in a year and, you know, four or five months of COVID, and we've sort of been at church and sort of haven't been at church, and I'm not sure really what I'm doing to grow as a follower of Jesus, you know, kind of waiting on the church to make decisions so that I can get back into Sunday school, and, and you know, when, when Sunday school starts back, I'll get back, and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you what the Bible's telling us, what Solomon's telling us. Go and take an initiative. Don't wait on the preacher to help you grow spiritually. Read God's Word. Get involved in a group. Go make a disciple of somebody else. Go learn from somebody else. The ant teaches us to go and take initiative. And, and that's true in every arena of our lives. You know who the best employees are? The employees that you don't have to go tell what to do all the time. I'm amazed at our church staff. I'm blown away. The last 16 months or so have just grown their esteem in my eyes. Because we've spent time figuring out what are we going to do and how are we going to make this work and how are we going to manage this. If you, if you doubt me, try to figure out how to have preschool classes in a pandemic. I'm telling you, cleaning that's required, the washing that's required, all that stuff. And you know what? I didn't have to sit down with our preschool teachers and preschool director and Daniel Hicks, our minister of children and families. I didn't have to sit down with her and walk through all of these and say, here's the process of cleaning. You know what, I, you know what they did? They took initiative and tried to figure out not only what are the CDC guidelines and recommendations and what are the cleaning recommendations and what's safe for kids to clean and how do we make sure if a kid puts a toy in their mouth, they're not putting a chemical in their mouth and, and all this kind of stuff that, you know, honestly, if I'm being honest with you, I don't really think about. You know what they did? They went and took initiative. And that's the way we ought to be, whether it is in our vocational employment or at home or in church, or in our relationship with Jesus. 
Ants don't, don't sit still because they have a job to do. They go and take initiative. I'm going to meddle for just a minute. Are you okay if I meddle for just a minute? You at home, you don't really get a say because you're at home. So if, if you don't like me meddling here, you can just turn it off right here. I'm going to meddle for a moment. Husbands, dads, sometimes here's what we do. We wait on our wives to do that thing that we see that needs to be done. We do. I'm going to give you a secret. I'm going to give you some really good brownie point opportunities. Instead of waiting on your wife to do that next thing, whether it's unload the dishwasher or fold the towels, why don't you get up and go unload the dishwasher, go fold the towels. Go and take initiative. Now, I'm going to tell you this in, in a context, okay? My wife is the least lazy person I know. I don't know how she always keeps going whether it's in her nonprofit that she runs or whether it's at home, she makes me tired sometimes with her constant ability to keep going. And I don't think, husbands, you ought to work to try to keep up with your wife. That's not the point. The point is this. As followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to be lazy in our jobs, in our homes, or in our relationship with God. And the ants teach us to go and take initiative. Don't wait to get told. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Look at something that needs to be done and go and be active at it. Now, Jesus was intentional about rest, but read through the Gospels. He was always looking for someone to serve. I'm not talking about... There's a place for rest. There's a place for pause. We're going to look at that in just a second. Jesus took initiative. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we can learn from the ant. We can go and take initiative. I'll give you a second lesson that the ants teach us. Consider the importance of community. Notice that second word. Go to the ant's whole sluggard. Consider her ways. Consider the ant's ways. That's a word that we ought to stop and think about for a second. I mentioned a moment ago the issue of distractedness. I talked about this or talk about this often in the classes I teach at Bible college. We live in a different era of education and academics. Hundreds of years ago, the greatest thinkers and the greatest writers were ones that would sit down and contemplate deep questions or important issues. Today, we don't have a whole lot of contemplation going on because we are inundated with information all the time. You want to find out how many miles we are from the sun? All you have to do is pull out that smartphone and go to Google and ask the question. You can find out facts in an instant. You can be inundated with information in a moment. And many of us are. We are so inundated with information that we don't do what Solomon tells us to do here and consider you realize some of the greatest scientists of human history were also Christians? John Newton and Galileo, they were followers of Jesus. They were devoted to Christ. The reason they were great scientists is because they believed that God created the world we lived in. And they stopped and observed. They considered. They thought about. They investigated. They researched. So I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes in our lives, I don't mean to say that we don't need to take initiative and go work. Sometimes in our lives, we need to really pause, not pause to be lazy, pause to think. 
Paul's to consider. Paul's to imagine. Paul's to wonder. You realize you can't write a good song if you don't think about it? You sometimes can't get something done that's really important without thinking on it, meditating on it, praying about it. There's an important aspect here, important lesson here. The ants teach us, they, that Solomon is teaching us about the ants, rather, to consider. And there's something to consider about the ants. You know what's amazing to me about ants? They're always working together. Sure, sure, you're going to see an isolated ant, but you know an ant doesn't live by himself. Ants don't have their own homes. They have a colony where they're a part of several thousand or many more thousands of ants. That's the reason why they're nuisances, right? And when we see one, we know we see more than one. There's more than one there. They're working for a goal, for a community. They're, they're working to bring back food. They're working to store up food, as Solomon's going to talk about, and we'll look at it in a moment. They're doing things together in a community. And here's what I'd like you to consider. Consider the importance of community. If you pause and think about the ants for a second, one ant is not all that troubling. Thousands of them may be very troubling. One ant may be, not be able to help a colony survive, but thousands of worker ants can help a colony survive. Let me say it this way. I think we've discovered in the last 16 months how important it is that we have each other. There was a time several months ago last year where we were isolated, truly isolated. And some of us were afraid and isolated. In fact, it's not, I don't think it's coincidental that our prayer partner today is Care Deck Counseling one of the things that they've had to deal with over the past 16 months is counsel people who have struggled with depression from isolation, from a lack of interaction with others, from a lack of connection, from a lack of deep-seated community. Uh, just recently, we had a wonderful church picnic, the most well-attended church picnic I've ever been a part of at Wilkesboro Baptist Church. Why? Because I think we've missed community, being around people. One of the reasons I think it's important that we bring back in-person, on-campus Sunday school as we're able and as you're willing to come back is because we need each other. So the ants teach us, and a lesson we can learn from them is consider the importance of community. Now, let me connect it to the previous application. Consider the importance of community. Go and take initiative. Don't wait on somebody to be your friend. Why don't you go find somebody to befriend? Find somebody to connect with. I promise you, if you're struggling with, an interact, with, a, with a lack of interaction, somebody else is struggling with that very lack of interaction as well. And if you'll take the time to listen to them, they'll probably take the time to listen to you, and you both will be benefited from that. By the way, God called the church, the community that he designed for all of the world to experience the church. We are supposed to be a body of togethered gathered believers who exist in community to help one another work through difficult times, work through the challenges of isolation. And what I'm thankful for at Wilkesboro Baptist is we are a community. So consider the importance of community. I would invite every single one of you, if you're not connected in a group and in a class, go to our website, 
go to that form, fill it out and say, I want to be connected to a class. That'll burn our staff up because we'll have to reply back to all of you and make you connections with Sunday school classes. But that's important. We need that. We need more than just this room in worship services. We need each other in community. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we have discipleship groups. That's why we have smaller gatherings. Because we need each other. Consider the importance of community. Let me give you a third lesson that the ants teach us. And this is the final application of verse 6. He says, go to the animal slugger, consider her ways, and be wise. In other words, what he's telling us is take the lessons you learn from the ant and apply them. Be wise. So here's how we're going to be wise. We're going to be wise and live our moments for eternity. Be wise and live your moments for eternity. What do I mean by that? Well, do you realize that the ant really doesn't work for itself? The ant is actually working for ants that will eat the food that it stores who will be alive when the ant is no longer alive. The ant's not working for its own sustaining life because some ants live only a few days or a few weeks. Some ants live for a few months. In captivity, they may live for longer. The queen ant does live longer, maybe as long as a colony lives, up to 25 or 30 years. But most worker ants don't live very long at all. They're actually storing food for ants that are no longer going to be alive. And the lesson there is for us to remember that every single moment we have is a preparation for a moment that we'll experience in eternity. For something that goes on beyond us, that goes on past us. Eddie mentioned a scripture verse that talked about how we work and how we labor. Paul said something very similar in Colossians 3.16. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Wherever you are, whatever station in life you are in, whether you're in this place of vocational employment, whether you're in the place of a child or a teenager who doesn't have a job or you earn money, whether you're in the place of you're retired and so you're drawing a, pay, a, a retirement income from money that's been saved in the bank, whatever your station in life, every moment that you have is a moment where you're preparing for eternity and a moment where you can glorify God. Do you get that? Do you realize that in your job, in a given week, if you do your job to the glory and honor of God, it's a reflection of the goodness of Christ? Do you realize that when you're honest and other employees, coworkers are not honest, you're reflecting the glory of Christ in the way that you behave? Do you realize that some of you, God allowed you to retire when he allowed you to retire because God wants you to spend your days praying and serving and ministering in the kingdom for his glory? God has given you wonderful, all of us wonderful privileges to live every single moment of our lives for his glory and for his honor. By the way, eternity is a long time. Some of us are, are really good about living the plan ahead. I'm, I'm not one of those folks, okay? I, I'm more, my wife would call it kind of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of person. It's just me. It's typically the way I operate on a daily basis. My wife's the planner in our family. Some of you know what being a planner is like. You're thinking about tomorrow. And if you don't have your plan set up for tomorrow, you're going to be frustrated and maybe stressed out. And then if, you know, that plan's not worked, you're really going to be frustrated and stressed out. But when was the last time you thought about this? You're going to live forever somewhere. Eternity is a really long time. For those of you in the room, for those of you watching at home, 
When was the last time you considered where you're going to be in eternity? Listen, Jesus came and did the greatest work anybody has ever done on the face of planet Earth when he died on a cross, when he took your sins and he took my sins so that we could have eternal life, not eternal death. I would tell all of you, any one of you listening, if you don't have assurance that your eternity is going to be spent in heaven with Christ, today is the day that you need to give up trying to earn your own salvation and come to Jesus. He's the one that did the work that brings you to salvation so that you can experience eternity. So if you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, today is the day for you to do that. Reach out to us. Speak to us. Respond at the invitation. Consider the fact that you have an eternity in front of you. For those of you that are believers, that are followers of Christ, I want you to get this. The ants live for somebody that's not themselves. They live for tomorrow. They live for eternity. They live for something that's bigger than they are. Uh, We're going to do easy math, okay? Because I'm an easy math kind of guy. So I think Solomon, when he wrote this, was talking about the harvester ants. The harvester ants are ants that gather food in the spring and summer and fall, and they store it in the winter when there's not an ability for the ants to eat if they don't have food that's stored. So they send out workers to find food and bring it back. They can live for several months to several weeks, but we're going to do really easy math, okay? Some colonies of harvester ants can live for 25 years. You got that math? 25 years. That's a colony of harvester ants. A worker ants, we're going to do it really easy here. Worker ants can live for three months. Three months. Now, they may live a little shorter than that, a little longer than that, but three months. So if I've done my math correctly, and some of you who are better math experts than me, if you take 25 and multiply it times four, you get what? 100. If you take three months and multiply it out times four, you get what? 12. Three. Yeah, yeah, but it's 1%. The, the bottom line is this, and I may have not told the math right. The bottom line is this. A worker ant lives for 1% of the age of the colony. Some of you are kind of thinking about that in your head. I didn't probably set the problem up right. But my brother, my brother, my 10-year-old son helped me make sure that my math was correct. I want you to think about this, though. You're laughing. That's good. A worker ant works for all three months to gather food for a colony that will live 100 times longer than it will live. Folks, you and I are not working for ourselves for today. We're working for an eternal life that will exist far, far longer than 100 times the length of our days on planet Earth. The reason we should live for the glory of God and realize that whether it's folding laundry, wiping a child's food off, his or her face, going to work and drawing a paycheck, serving in the church, whatever it is that God has given us the privilege to engage in in our business, the reason we should do it for the glory of God is because, folks, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for people that will be blessed long after we're not here, and we're doing it for the glory of God that will extend 
well beyond eternity. Folks, if God can create a being, an ant, that will live for ants and work for ants that will live well past its own lifetime, what are you doing? What am I doing that will glorify God when you and I are no longer here? Stand with me, if you will, as we close with an invitation song. Father, I want to thank you for something. I want to thank you that you came to the earth 2,000 years ago to save people that would never meet you in person. Lord Jesus, you died on a cruel cross to, to save me who would never walk with you when you walked on planet earth 2,000 years ago. You saved, you died on the cross so that I could experience a relationship with you and one day meet you in eternity. Thank you for that privilege. Lord God, you called us all. You called us all to a life. Some of us you called to vocational ministry. Some of us you called to a job. Some of us you called to be moms or dads. Some of us you called to serve in our church. But all of us you've called to not be lazy spiritually and lazy for living out your glory. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that in this day we would learn from the smallest of creatures that you've made so that we can live our days out for your glory and for your honor. Live our days out for those who've never heard the gospel. Live our days out for the way that we behave and the way that we act, not to get in the way of someone coming to know you, but to point others to you. Father, remind us. You called us to be productive and faithful, not for our own names, not for our own retirements, not for our own benefits, not for our own glory. But, Father, you've called us to live in this way for your glory, for your fame, and for those who desperately need to see the glory of God in the face and in the lives of followers of Jesus. Dear Father, work through us and use us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.